What up, guys and girls? It's Bobby. And Sean. And we are back. Volume 5 or so. Yeah, we're we're back back now. We're, we're back-ish. Ish. Yeah, I'm working next weekend again, so... Um, a little more intermittent episodes, but uh, as always, this week's episode is brought to you guys by 10,000. Use the code CRONUSFIT15 for 15% off of your first order with 10,000. It goes to help us with the podcast and also supports a pretty good brand. Uh, pretty big fan of some of their apparel, shorts and t-shirts. Always good to train in. Yeah, uh, this is also going to be my last pod from New York City. Uh, I moved to Jersey City in a week and a half. So... I think uh, this should be like really focused on just how great the city is. If if the listeners have not, uh, you know, been made aware how great this city just really truly is, that's why I'm, I I can't wait to leave. Well, Jersey now has a uh, decriminalized weed. Yeah, but I I think it's still in the early stages of being able to do what Colorado has with generating uh, tax revenue. Mm-hmm. And legalizing it for generic uh, purposes and profit. Yeah, I don't think it's it's. I don't. Think, yeah, you're right. It's just decriminalized, and it's not like recreational, or they don't have to sell it recreationally yet. But I can only imagine it's only a couple of years away where they set the infrastructure. And I can only imagine that you know Pennsylvania and New York will very shortly open that up again. Open up to that as well. I I wonder when the country at large is going to decriminalize marijuana who knows i mean you know nothing against it i think you know the canadian or canada is a pretty good example of like federal legalization and then you know that's, i think it's turned out pretty well for them i mean i don't really know but i just remember reading about how the canadian army and military <coughs> are allowing you know marijuana with certain <coughs> With certain like um, regulations over when you can do it, I think it's like you can't you know smoke twenty four hours before like driving like, a heavy vehicle, and you can't smoke like three days before going to the range or something like that. Which is like, I think reasonable. one of the challenges for the military in making it legal in the United States, or for the military in general, with a breathalyzer, I, I just don't know what tests are out there to test if you are in fact high or have any like adverse side effects from the level of weed in your system mm-hmm. within like that rapid of a, of a turnaround. So, you know, with the breathalyzer, you're like, Oh, you're, you're a 0.06. Like you're not supposed to be drinking on duty right now. I don't know where that testing right now is for marijuana. I mean, as soon as that comes out, I think, I don't know why you wouldn't legalize it just in general, because then you can easily say you're a 0.05 on the cannabis spectrum. Like you're too high to function. Yeah. I don't think they have like a, a like point of care testing like they do with alcohol i mean i think it's just like kind of uh how you're performing i don't know it's kind of that's very nebulous but like I, yeah there's definitely no test like to see how high you are besides like doing like a probably sobriety test yeah I, and i look at the various strains of the marijuana that is out there and I think it's different than comparing it to alcohol. Alcohol in general, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, I just feel like has a pretty similar effect on people. Not to say that individuals don't get more drunk than others off of a single beer, but in general, alcohol will have the same effect. Whereas with the different strains of marijuana, you get some that are like super chill and relaxing. You get others that make you giddy. I don't know how they're going to be able to standardize weed across the board. Yeah, and that's, like, another interesting, I think, uh, like, dynamic to bring up because um, that's going to be the big thing. I think the federal legalization is going to be, like, the regulation of, you know, t- strains and then kind of, like, I would imagine, like, how big tobacco has theirs set up. Um, so there's, like, debate about, you know, if it legalizes federally, like, it would, you know, essentially drown out all these small, like, homegrown, homegrown businesses and... Um, you just have like these big, you know, big conglomerates and corporations around marijuana. I just think it's really fascinating that marijuana is illegal, but there are other things that, in my opinion, are way worse for you um, that are completely legal. You know, a- alcohol, I think, has a way worse effect on your body, especially if you look at recovery for fitness. Um, 
smoking, uh, smoking's horrendous for you. I mean, now it might pay off if you're in some states because if you're a smoker, you can get the COVID vaccine. But outside of that, you know, like what is the benefit? And I get smoking marijuana, smoking a cigarette, you're still inhaling something and you're, you're still messing up your lung capacity probably in the long term. But why we have an opportunity for people to booze and smoke, but not just smoke weed if the same effect is going to be poor lung performance and some sort of adverse effect on your psyche that it just doesn't, it, it seems like they're the same thing to me. No, I'd agree too. I mean, like you don't see people that, you know, overdose uh, or like drink themselves to death or like smoke themselves to death with, with pot. I mean, get people that drink themselves to death with alcohol and then get like liver failure, et cetera, et cetera. Plenty of these people that I've seen in the hospital that have like liver failure um, from alcoholism, but you don't really see that with, mar- with, you know, marijuana. I think one of the other bad things that marijuana has going for it are the general advocates. Because whenever I think of someone who's smoking weed and getting high and hitting the doobie, it's your 1970s, 1980s, corporations are bad, man, and long, dirty hair, flannel shirts. Although I should say I have a ton of flannels and that that's just... I think that's more of a soft thing, um, but I don't understand why you don't really have a market of people coming out and saying, no, I'm a normal functioning adult. It, it, we always associate the cookie cutter Karen to be you know, staunchly against uh, weed proliferation because you're just seeing like a dumbass on the other side as why weed is bad. Yeah, I think it's just- it's it's that like uh like that reefer madness culture from the seventies that has like mm-hmm. um, drastically changed public opinion on it. Because I mean, if you were like, you know, walk around probably ask like you know random people that you see them normally in society, you probably have a good amount that say that you that they you know probably smoke recreationally or you know smoke every now and then. Uh, but they would never admit that because they don't want that stigma attached to being like a pothead. Um, so no. I, I can only imagine like. You know, I think the last statistic was like 70% of Americans have like tried marijuana or something like that. I don't know if I'm, I'm making that up the statistic or if I remember correctly, but you know, there's a lot of people that have smoked and they're, you know, successful members of society, successful members of society without, you know, becoming like, um, like useless degenerates that just smoke weed all day. Right. And then politically speaking too, it's really challenging because you have people, for instance, like Vice President Harris has admitted to smoking weed in the past, yet she held a position in California where individuals were negatively impacted by the drug laws mm-hmm. and sentenced for, you know, the same thing that she did, albeit in a different situation, but where she was not caught and convicted for possession of marijuana. And so for politicians, I think they're in a very precarious position because if they were to come out and say that they're staunchly against weed or they're for weed, but then they have a history that says otherwise. Now you're just going to see many more kind of social activists saying, why now? There's so many people whose lives you've essentially ruined. Mm-hmm. Why should we trust you on this? Why are you all of a sudden becoming you know, the cool ant? I think that's a valid concern, but I think it's holding politicians back from really coming out and supporting this in larger numbers. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a very valid statement, especially like, um, you know, in how like law or like you know, you talk about that brings up a point about like the you know like the um, the legal, I guess like penitentiary system and like how private prisons have you know benefited a great deal from these nonviolent drug offenses, and that's you know part of the um, decriminalization process with like New Jersey. They like they expunge all these records of like people that you know were you know jailed for drug possession charges, et cetera, et cetera, which are like you know. Well, you you look at people like President Biden. President Biden back in the, Jesus, he's been in politics for so long. Which decade is this? You know, in the 80s and 90s was all for both mandatory minimums on sentencing guidelines uh, and in statutes and then applying a quantity number as a sentencing factor for drugs really adversely affected 
tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of individuals that were busted mm-hmm. with, you know, a gram of marijuana on them. And then it really also negatively impacted the people that weren't in charge of the drug distribution. I mean, when, when we first came out with the sentencing guidelines, the impact was supposed to be felt by kingpins, those individuals that you see now Netflix making shows on and narcos. But really what it ended up doing is taking people that were too poor, that were kind of forced in these positions where they had to be a mule for these large drug quantities. And they were they were getting busted with drugs that they weren't really involved with manufacturing or producing. They were just that mule. And they were the ones facing 20, 30-year mandatory mm-hmm. sentences. And now you've got to look back, and it's been two to three years since we've had a quorum to go over U.S. sentencing guidelines and, and make any adjustments as necessary. But I'm really shocked in the first 100 days we've not seen a major sentencing reform bill get proposed. And I think partially that's to do with President Biden's history as being such like a staunch advocate for this just say no, dare kind of program um, that he really kind of pioneered and, and led um, on the Democratic side. I remember hearing something about how uh, Trump was going to propose some, like, um, was going to pass some bill like that, and that it was, like, shot down because the Democrats didn't want this this bill passing under Trump, and Trump saying that. Did you hear about this? Or, or, yeah, or... I feel like that came out within the last year uh, yeah. of his presidency. It was supposed to be a major—I think he did get a reform bill passed, but like... there— part of like these omnibus bills that go through Congress, something mm-hmm. had a provision like that. And I do remember reading that, you know, the, the Democratic side of the House did not want to come across the aisle to make it a victory for him. Yeah, because it was like he, they didn't want him to have the political victory of and that's like a fucking like a huge shame too. you know, like the I mean, absolutely. I mean, that's that's politics in general. If we take what's happening in Texas right now and what happened last week as an example um, and then compare it to New York. It's a, it's all back to the whataboutism. You know, uh, Cuomo gets accused of sexual harassment, covering up deaths. And now the Democrats are saying, what about Senator Cruz, someone who does not run the state of Texas, fleeing to go to Cancun for the weekend with his family? The, the two are completely dissimilar. They're similar in the extent that they're public representatives that did a horrible job managing a condition that they were placed under. But both sides are doing it. We, we really talked about it with the riots and what the Republicans were saying about the, the same kind of violent rhetoric on the Democratic uh, front for the last four years. And now we're just seeing it in reverse. I mean, I really dislike the news because Fox will talk about one, CNN talks about the other, MSNBC is just off the charts deep end like i think it's a really it's a it's a terrible spot to be in as a viewer and as an average citizen because where are you supposed to trust your news source uh, is getting its information from and what's being identified by producers as we're not talking about this or we are exclusively talking about this it it's really difficult to imagine we're getting a, a good positive flow of of good facts yeah and i think that probably is what you know is definitely contributing to it kind of the general just gestalt and you know culture in america these days where is everything's divided or it seems like it's everything's divided but you know, if you talk to you know your neighbors nobody is that you know cr- crazy or that you know um that divided it seems like everyone is like doing pretty well in everyday society but the media paints a certain picture too well i think it's what sells it's the clickbait um anchorman too when they do the live update for the police chase and all of a sudden that's you know the prime time news uh covering you know an oj simpson like escape that's what people want to see they they want to see the the gimmicky stories or the gotcha or the really extreme uh labeling on the bottom of the the news ticker that's what people care about i think people wouldn't tune in to see pundits talk about generic state-level uh, government issues, which would probably be, be a benefit if people wanted to vote and actually take part in a, a democratic society. Mm-hmm. Um, but speaking of the news, um, I saw that you know they're starting to expand the COVID vaccinations. We're almost at 100 million now in America. Are, we're at 100 million or we're, we're getting, we're getting there? We're getting 100 million, yeah. 
Although I'm, I'm kind of mixed with that whole initiative. Um, because apparently, you know, Biden wants to do the 100 million uh, vaccinations. They are supposedly going to mobilize the hospital staff to go give COVID shots, which I'm kind of very uh, annoyed about because, you know, it is literally taking this hospital and like shrinking its staff by like 50% to go support that vaccination drive where you could literally take, you know, privates like Joe, like D11 Bravo and teach them how to do vaccinations. Like you don't need to take nurses and like, doctors out of the hospital to go get like get vaccinations it's kind of ridiculous. do you think it's more of an uh an image thing like a publicity stunt 100%. I mean, like my yeah i that you see that's bad too because it's like if there's an actual national emergency where we need the docs you know to be doing surgery now you're taking that that away from from a planning consideration yeah ultimately i think it's just like an oer bullet that you know i hate to say it but like the hospital commander who's like a med service corps like med service officer who's never like been a doctor who you know has only done like hospital like you know been like a you know hospital right. manager essentially who who's making these decisions based on the hospital and then like essentially gutting the hospital for what ultimately going to be an oer bullet saying that you know facilitate the vaccination of several hundred thousand american citizens yeah, yeah. That, I mean, but that goes back to our discussion on once you make field grade and you, you start ranking up to that 05, 06 level, you're so detached from reality that at that point you're just looking to write a, you know, write that OER bullet that the guys are going to absolutely hate you for. I kind of, in the same light that we're talking about, it's why I always appreciated knowing that if we had like a, a rotary wing uh, attachment on a mission if one of the guys that was flying was like a prior service ranger because mm. a, a, a lot of rangers will go warrant and, and become pilots like you know they know exactly what you need on the ground like they they understand what you know point of the mission you're in. and i'm not saying that other regular pilots don't understand that but there is a huge difference that i've learned and i've seen from pilots with ground experience versus you know, the ring knockers that were top 5% at West Point and just happened to get 64s. Yeah, I was just like, uh, I think that's also like the same thing I've noticed in the hospital administration. It's like when you have administrators who were physicians or, you know, had some clinical experience, they understand like what it means to how to provide services like clinical services where, but if you just have a essentially like a pencil pusher that is working as an administrator, then you know, you have you have decisions that are based purely on numbers and purely on like, you know, financials rather than based on clinical outcomes. And you know, that's a huge, I think, flaw with um, healthcare systems in America today is that a lot of you know healthcare systems are now run by MBAs or you know business people and not run based on clinicians or like physicians who, you know, the the perspectives are drastically different if you talk about like financial incentives versus you know doing the right thing for patients and maximizing clinical care and the, and that sort of thing. Well, that's the exact same kind of argument almost every single organization probably faces. Um, Ranger Regiment, are you a first time officer there as a company commander uh, candidate, or were you there as a PL? Um, did you grow up there enlisted, or did you come in later? I think the the standard is always what the standard is, but I think there's almost more expected of you if you don't have that background walking in, knowing when to really take more advice from those around you and listen to your subordinates versus coming in and just thinking off the top that you're going to run things the exact same way because you just see it as you know the same standard uh, organizational flow and the same reporting metrics. Um, I, I think it's really dangerous when there is not any experience from that ground level at senior management positions. Yeah. And that's, you know, I think it's, I didn't really appreciate it as much in the military and in the army. Cause I guess I'd have never really exposed to, um, that side of the house or seeing like how decisions are made at the like Oh five Oh six level and how it propagates down to the, to the unit level, like being in the hospital and then seeing kind of, um, the, you know, the conversations that are held and seeing like how, different people have different perspectives on like cl on providing clinical services and so it becomes very really readily apparent in my mind 
um, how like the decisions made at the 06 level can rapidly propagate down and then, you know, cause, you know, issues down at the lower levels. Yeah. And so we are a fitness podcast. So I'm going to take this to fitness with that same theme. This is why I could not stand when Dave Castro would program for the open. I want someone to program for the open like a Josh Bridges, like an actually fit Navy SEAL, not Dave Castro, who cat backs at 315 on a deadlift, who I don't think could power clean, uh, you know, let alone front squat 155. You know, you want someone that's making decisions, that's directing this kind of thing to have that experience. So what's your take with the open coming up? Do you think we're going to see workouts that are just kind of tailored towards his favorite kind of CrossFit athletes or, you know, just the standard Dave Castro, you know, random built for short people? I mean, uh, like, workouts? I think the CrossFit open workouts have been pretty good, pretty well programmed, um, to be honest. I think they've always been a relatively decent test of fitness, et cetera. Um, it'll, be, it'll just be curious to see how it does. they do it this year with only three-week system, and then it's like the limited like the limited supply of equipment and stuff. It's, so it'll be kind of interesting to see, um, you know, how that plays out. Um, I'm expecting it to do terribly this year, but I also, like, saw that the open um, registration for this year is absolutely trash, like down, like, 50% or something like that. Yeah, I, I mean, that's understandable when so many gyms are closed. I'm saying from the perspective of a workout that looks like a nine minute to 12 minute just quick AMRAP or like standard wad. I feel like we haven't had grinders. I want to see like a 40 to 60 minute workout. That'll never happen. For the open. But I mean, that's the same thing that, you know, Pat Vellner a couple years ago was saying when he was cut. Uh, was that two years ago at the games um, where it just seemed like they started doing the standard CrossFit workouts after things um, that really just were not like I think indicative of, of total overall kind of uh, fitness. It was just cardio, cardio, cardio type thing. Yeah. I'm saying I would love to see if in the open, you, if you're going to have that in the first stages of the CrossFit games, you should have that as one of the workouts, maybe week four, week five you have to do a 10K row for time. Like something simple like that, everyone can get on a rower or you have to, I think running would be really difficult. I think rowing or assault bike workouts would probably be the easiest, but I want to see a 35, 40 minute suck fest. Yeah, I mean, that'd be an interesting thing, but who, I mean, who knows how they're going to program it. Um, we'll see. I do have a suspicion they'll do like a strength component workout, like a... The one workout was I think it was like fifteen or sixteen where there was like a ten to one of like of the dumbbell and burpees and then like a remainder of time you do like a max clean and jerk. Oh yeah, well they also have that too with the ladders where it went up to like a three fifteen clean where it was like a descending ladder by like two or four reps every single round with like an increasing yeah, set of yeah. muscle ups or yeah, some yeah of, that, I imagine something like that where they'll have some strength component tied in with like the metabolic. That's one of those workouts instead of seeing, for instance, to go back to what I want to see, have a standard workout be do this exercise and prescribed weight for men is going to be 225 for say deadlifts. And we're going to, you're going to, you're going to blow yourself up with deadlifts, burpees, muscle ups, right? But then there should be a second workout. And instead of increasing the weight where it goes 255, 275, just have it be you have four minutes to clean 315. Once you clean 315, then we're going to increase and you're going, you're going into the second buy-in workout. But if you don't even get there, I'm not even going to have you bother mm. trying to, to climb this ladder. And so that we see 80% of males between 18 to 24 were able to hit 265 and, and have it be this weird – I think at that point, that's only pro, ODP. Oh. <laughs> but, I mean, at that point, what I'm seeing is we're just doing this so that people can have a uh, a more definitive score on the CrossFit games for the 99%. Uh, I'm going to have to get back here with a little bit. Can we take a break? I got to get back. I got to clean this poop up. Yeah, we'll take like a couple-minute break for everyone. Uh 
Bobby got a new dog, and we'll uh, we'll meet him when we come back. And pause. All right, we're back, guys. Sorry about that little bit of delay. Um, my new puppy apparently has worms now because he just pooped in there in the study, and this poop was writhing with worms. Oh. <laughs> Come on, gagging. man. You don't have to describe it again. Gagging right now. Um, <laughs> so, I guess the next thing we're going to take him to the vet soon. But, uh, kind of gross. Kind of grossed me out for a little bit. And, you know, that's one thing that's always grossed me out no matter what medicine. Like, everything in medicine. Nothing really grosses me out in medicine besides, like, worms. Yeah, they're weird. Worms gross me out. Try to... Yeah, I'm not... I don't know much about medicine to be grossed out by much more, but like broken, I was just saying broken arms kind of freak me out. Like, or just seeing like a broken limb, but where it's not a compound fracture, where it's just, you could see distorted and mm-hmm. it, it's not right. Oh, what, you know, like lifting injuries kind of sketch me out, like lifting injuries. Yeah. Yeah. When I saw my wrist, uh, <laughs> not looking the right way, that was, that was weird. Yeah. Um, what were, what were we talking about? I'm sorry. Oh, uh... Was the open? Uh, the open? CrossFit Games, programming, we should have a ladder. All right, we'll just skip that. ACFT, what the hell is going on in the Army? I thought we were supposed to have this cure-all to the, the gender fitness standard issue to branch-specific, and, like, now it's going back to a, like, a hidden gender rating score metric for evaluations do you know any more about that yeah it was kind of um i, I sent you that article that kristen grice wrote about um how they're you know proposing the, to add on the gender um adding on gender but even she said like uh you know it's a terrible idea and that it you know decreases lethality and then it actually ends up increasing like um like like divide like a gender divide uh between genders so it was like kind of interesting to see her perspective on things given that you know, she's the first female ranger school graduate and, like, the first female infantry officer. And even she said that, like, she failed the ACFT, but um, she has since trained for the ACFT and now is doing well on it. Well on it. But it's just, like, it's a good point. It highlights how, like, you know, even that you have to, like, train for the test and, like, not everyone's going to do great on it at the first time go, you know? Yeah, I... Uh, one of my, my other groups of friends, we were talking about this... Um, and they sent like this snapshot and I'll, I'll read what this former battalion commander of, a will have to get down to, he was like of a heavy arms, uh, combined battalion, one of those armored dudes, two flawed assumptions in this piece. One, the ACFT is a good measure of personal fitness for combat. Okay. I could see that if you're like super stupid fit, but in general, what PT test really is the best, uh, measure. And two, we are in a place where our level of physical fitness is going to put us at risk of defeat on the battlefield. And again, he said these are both flawed assumptions. Um, so on the first one, I think we've talked about how the ACFT, the scores are super low and we think they could be higher. But in general, outside of the RPAT, I mean, what, what really are we supposed to be doing? We can't take these people to combat and just be like, all right, now you have the stress now do a deadlift or lift this body up. Like, I, th- I think you have to accept some flaws in a system, but in general still train for the same event. Yeah. I actually, the Sergeant Major uh, Grinston, his Instagram account is actually surprisingly well informed. It's very, pretty informing. I was reading something on his Instagram story where he said that with the APFD, the APFD had about a 40% predictive value of like, you know, dealing okay, or like I can't remember what the outcome was, whether that was like warrior skills or uh, survivability in combat or something. It's like a forty percent predictability, whereas the ACFT has like a seventy percent predictability um, of like you know doing of better outcomes in combat. So from that metric alone, you can argue that you know the ACFT prepares or is a better predictor for future success in combat. Um, which I would, I mean, I would wholeheartedly echo that statement. Like, you know, if you're able to deadlift, if you have speed, power generation, you have core strength, and all the other things with the ACFT tests, which the APFT does not, you know, I think that's a pretty good predictor of whether or not you can, you know, do well in combat or not. Yeah, I would absolutely agree. Are there things in the ACFT that 
I think are silly that should be replaced with maybe a like a heavy med ball clean instead of like throwing the little you know wall ball over your head um, as if you're like picking up a, a heavy ammo can or weird object onto the top of a of a hesco yeah. but yeah I think the bigger issue I have with with this uh, dude's piece is we're in a the the flaw is we are in a place where our level of fit, physical fitness is going to put us at risk of defeat on the battlefield. I would I would say we're probably pretty close to that. Uh, having been in a light infantry brigade, having been in a heavy arms uh, unit as well, I I was never impressed with the fitness level um, or the lack thereof. Knowing what kind of like really strenuous physical acts that that I got to experience in Ranger Battalion that I don't think 90% of, of those formations would be able to complete. Yeah, no, I'd agree too. And it's like, you have to be pretty disconnected from, you know, your lower levels. If you're in like a senior commander that, you know, thinks that the APFT is a good predictor of fitness and that, you know, the army is like excelling at fitness, which, you know, I'm pretty sure the army is not excelling at fitness. No, I mean, I mean, a couple of years ago, we, we had that discussion where, in general, trying to recruit soldiers into the Army was suffering because we have an obesity epidemic in the United States. It's not like the Army, once you get in, isn't suffering from the same issues. This, this dude went on to further state, we did pretty well in Iraq and Afghanistan after fueling our bodies with nothing but rip it and two trips to the 31 Flavors Bar. Fitness wasn't the problem then, isn't the problem now. That sounds like someone who rode in vehicles on every single mission or was a fobbit. Yeah. Like zero. It, you know what was banned when we would go on dismounted patrols was rip it. That, that was an awful fuel source. And the 31 flavors, but I don't even, that sounds like literally something you would go to the boardwalk to get. Mm-hmm. So if you're really out and about going back to CAF for a vacation, that's the only time you could hit up any kind of one of those I mean, the guy goes on to say that diversity is important because a diverse workforce, I think attacking what Kristen really doesn't discuss at all, um, being that having less fit individuals that bring other things to the fight is, is just as uh, advantageous as having a huge, super fit individual. This is probably the same dude that would say that we only hire or promote individuals that are fit. And that's like a the downside of fitness being a metric too. I, I think this person is, uh, fully, fully, uh, incorrect. No. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, if you open up the, you know, have the MOS specific like standards for, um, like MOS is and that is gender neutral. I think that, you know, levels the playing field for everybody involved. And then you have not equity, but you have equality, you know, the difference between equality versus equity, that everybody has the same ability to do whatever they want, but they don't have the same outcomes. And then, you know, we, we can't strive for equal outcomes because that would be, um, you know, not the ideal solution. The other thing that one of my, my buddies says is uh, the dude's comments are just indicative of the problem we have where we're okay with losing and blaming it on, on someone else. And I would, I think that's a really great point because this guy just seems to be highlighting that our fitness is fine. Like we're going to be able to, to do things, but we have all so many other issues that we should be considering. And so we can really take the, the focus off the ball. I mean, like COVID's a bad thing happening in the military. And I know a lot of soldiers are pissed off that they're going to JRTC at the height of COVID, you know, but the things to consider is Russia, China, uh, you know, the Al Qaeda, ISIS is around the world. Are they all pushing pause to wait for the United States to to get over the pandemic? And then furthermore, I'm not in the military anymore, but how many people have died from COVID in the army? I mean, is that something that we know where it's like, yeah, like we've got just as bad a, 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 of, a, of a rate of for mortality as the regular population does? I feel like it's significantly lower. And so, you know, why shouldn't maybe the argument be made that you should still be con- you know, fighting uh, the nation's wars, you should still be actively going out and getting after it with fitness and going to ranges. Like that's something that I, I've not understood seeing some of the complaining on some of these pages. Yeah, I mean, I think it's like twofold. I think it comes down to a little bit of like level of like uh, uh, not like 
um, I guess, information and how much you know about kind of what's been going on. But same time, though, like you know, in you know, the army has in the past dealt with like pan, you know health issues and um, like outbreaks of diseases and what what have you. But at the end of the day, like the enemy doesn't care about that. Like you might you know, for the vast majority of guys in the army or the military, you're gonna be fine and not get sick. You know, you probably don't even know you have it for the most part. And I think it's yeah. like uh, you know, you might say that for families that might be a little a little bit more difficult if you're like going home to your family afterwards. But like for the vet, for like for Jews in the barracks, like I get it. Um, and you know, I yeah, see both I, sides. Yeah, I absolutely uh, think that's a great point you bring up. Where you know I'm focusing on the priority being maintaining a fit fighting force, and then bringing in that behind the fit fighting force is a family unit, and so exposing them to a, a level of risk that they necessarily really did not sign up for. Um, mm. I think in in a broader societal context, we can kind of compare this to teachers being fearful of going back um, and, you know, not signing up for putting themselves on, on that kind of a, of a risk uh, line. But at the end of the day, you just wonder what is the military going to suffer long term from an inability to really lock down a physical standard that is gender neutral, that it's really refocusing the aim on being combat ready and proficient. Uh, and are we going to now be behind potentially other nations that understood their risk and were more willing to take that risk. Yeah, I think that's, well, I mean, at the end of the day, I don't really know, like, uh, that's like a, we'll never know, you know, we'll never right. know that, with that statement, but you have to imagine, like, you know, Russia or China is probably like, or Korea, North Korea for that matter, probably don't really care about that consideration and, you know, are willing to, for all intents and purposes, lose some guys to continue training. Yeah, to, you know, they're willing to, to play with fire, I think, a, a little bit more freely than than we certainly do. I think also that goes back to the military being the volunteer service force. Maybe if we were just conscripting people or it was mandatory, you'd have leaders that wouldn't care as much. But because people are volunteering, you're, you're taking maybe a little bit more consideration into decisions that you're making that are going to impact health or you know their morale. But I just think it's... Uh, you know, we, we make a lot of excuses having been in the military for like why systems fail or, or why things happen. Um, I see the ACFTs being this really big one right now. And a lot of it just seems to come down to a leg tuck. Like if all the things on the ACFT, the one thing is the like, why can't you do a single leg tuck that blo- I think I could do a leg tuck single armed. Like wh- Easily, what is yeah. preventing people from doing that? I think it's just like people just, you know, it's a new test and ultimately people are, are, gonna, are I think, have the opinion that like, hey, you know, if we keep failing this, they're going to change the test so that we can pass it. I think that's a, there's a component of that. And there's a component of people that are just, you know, don't want to put in the time and effort to get better at something too, which, you know. Yeah, well, they were talking about the plank being an alternative. I think the Sergeant Major's Instagram was talking because, you know, someone made a comment, it's too difficult for people to do and the the plank was going to be an alternative and the standard would be like two minutes mm-hmm. those tests seem uh not not the same you know one is testing i think your core and your balance the other one is i think more indicative of actual strength being able to pull yourself up and and bring your knees to you know your elbows into your chest on a half a pull-up i just don't i've never understood why the the leg tuck was super difficult I never will, but I don't understand why we can't train for it. I mean, it's it's not like this hasn't been announced for two plus years for units to prepare. Oh yeah, no, that's a hundred percent the thing. It's like you have had plenty of time to learn how to do a pull up. And I I think it's also uh, you know Christian brought up an excellent point about being one of the first female Ranger school graduates, being one of the first female infantry officers. We're all about making sure that people have equal access to be successful in the military. I mean, the the army has made since the time my mom was in to now is making huge leaps and jumps to make sure that people can be successful no matter where you come from or who you are. But to artificially kind of create a standard now for females, it just if I feel like we're we're walking backwards, where instead we should be walking forwards. Either make the standard branch specific. Um, or just send the message to society that you have to be physically fit to do, do this job. Like you can, you can't be successful and be overweight in the army. 
It's just, it's not going to, it's not possible. Yeah, but I think it's like, uh, you know, people just want an easier, you know, just be, not to struggle at work for things too. Yeah, I, and it goes back to though, I have, I've met some like really in shape individuals that I thought were awful officers, awful soldiers. You know, they were just really meatheads. They were really good at, at lifting weights, uh, but they didn't take that focus or that discipline and apply it to being a professional soldier. But those were few and far between. I have seen significantly more awful officers that were also failures when it came to managing their personal fitness. That was something that I typically saw hand in hand. If you were overweight, I could guarantee, or usually maybe I was prejudiced because you'd run into so many of them, you were not a high performer in the military. And it like would go all the way back to ROTC when you're trying to branch different you know, uh, uh, parts of the army. It was like everyone that was like the high performing, really physical individual wanted to go to one of like maybe five branches. All the people that were kind of physical duds went to a lot of your support branches. And then like the army didn't really do a great job, I think, of saying, no, like you're a high performer, but you have to go, you know, do the logistics kind of thing. Not to say there aren't fit logistics people out there, but speaking from a you know, generalization. Yeah. And, you know, I think we've mentioned this before in the in the past, but it's like, uh, if, you know, you can be physically fit, um, or, or like, I think, what was the analogy we used? It was like a, it was like a Venn diagram of like, you can be fit. It's hard to be a good leader if you're not physically fit, but it's easier to be a good leader if you are physically fit. I think it's a, the, the summarize what I think we talked before in the past. Yeah. One of my buddies said that like, uh, fatigue make, makes cowards, uh, of us all, mm-hmm. you know, it's, uh, that's the mental mind game thing. Um, uh, when you were training for your ultra last year, training for my Ironman now, I mean, there are times where I, I had to do a, a four hour bike and then an off the bike run this past week. I, I think I hit like 245 or three when I just started getting both bored and, and started like settling into, you know, some saddle pain, um, some discomfort from being, you know, in a tucked arrow position and just being like, why am I doing this? Why? Am I? And then you just got to like push through it because it's mm-hmm. that kind of mental preparation that applies well beyond fitness. And I think that's what people that don't do fitness or take fitness seriously are missing. They don't have that adversity and that's tied to actual physical pain. They do, Everything is just, you know, conjectural for them. Yeah. And it's, and I think anyone that does like fitness or like has done any real workouts, um, especially with like the Saturday Suck Fest, like, you know, how many times, like when you do that workout, how many times you want to quit, but then, you know, you have the mental discipline and determination to continue and finish the workout. That same like determination and like um, you know discipline and perseverance will you know push you through. Um, you know, it will apply to everyday life when you get those like hard moments where you're tired or you know fatigued, and you just kind of push through it and move on and get and, and complete the mission or complete whatever your, your, your thing is. Yeah. You know, and speaking of, of completing the mission, we talk about, like, is there an easy button? Um, you know, when you're working out and to kind of shift what we were talking about before we jumped on the podcast, but if you have a certain shoe, is that going to make overcoming that obstacle easier? If you have a certain piece of equipment in your kit bag, is that going to make it easier for you? For instance, people always wanted uh, – what was that Ruck brand? Was it Taylor? That uh, everyone wanted, tailor. yeah. Like everyone wanted the tactical tailor brand ruck, which was like the super sexy, like four hundred dollars. I think you could get it because it was like modular and you could, you know, do whatever you wanted to it. Um, I was like, well, the Alice can do the exact same thing. I mean, I mean, I, I did not like the Alice when I first got it, but once I learned how to configure the Alice to fit my back, my shoulders, I loved. Uh, excuse me, the Molly. I, I love my Molly Ruck. Like I, I thought it was super comfortable for a low distribution. Same thing. Like go, go purchase a fifty dollar old large Alice Ruck. You know, but these, you know, a lot of junior officers at I Bullock when we first got to the unit when they were training for SFAS were like, oh, I'm, I'm going to buy this like four hundred dollar Ruck. It's like well, that four hundred dollar Ruck might be comfortable for a little bit, but you're still going to run into the same issues three hours in when your shoulders are screaming, um, and you still have to move your legs. Yeah, I think it's like the um, it's like a like a mental trap people fall into, and it's like if you think that you 
spend spending more money for something equates to better outcomes you know it's yeah. like a mental trap same thing with like working out or like the gear or supplements is like the more money that you spend into these like extra you know to these little extras you know are, are going to equate with better outcomes better success in the future but you know at the end of the day like the money you spend on like gear um isn't necessarily going to predict the amount of success you're going to have in the future it's really how much work you put in and putting the work in is what is going to predict um success yeah i mean we talk about shoes for instance I my first pair of lifting shoes I got were the Romaleos from Nike mm-hmm. and like a complete waste of money in my in my opinion because one I was not that good at lifting to really understand or appreciate the design. I ended up getting like the Reeboks like a couple years later which were like half the price and I got the exact same thing out of them. Um but every single year Nike and Reebok released the new Metcons or the new Nanos. It's like they're the exact same thing. And, and you know, for, for from a running shoe perspective, once I get four to 500 miles on my pair of shoes, I get a new pair. I don't see how just doing the basic movements puts that much stress on your shoe compared to a 400 miles on a running shoe that needs to be updated every year for CrossFit. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. Like, I still have like... like what, um, what, what's your take on that? Like, do you... Fours. I would say like uh yeah you know, I've got a pair of Metcon four still that I I I update my shoes maybe once a year after they fall apart but like you know there's really no reason to have multiple shoes besides the fact that you know you might they might you just might like the look but you know the performance uh, is going to be negligible on like a shoe on like a wrap on a you know on any of the gear that you might think that you might need. Well, it's like all the the. The gearheads that we've talked about on other podcasts, where they buy the the belt to put a you know uh, the for their mag drops uh, off their their kit, they have you know these really sexy chest rigs that they don't need. They or they they try to look the part for some dude in soft, uh, or they try to buy the same stuff that Matt Fraser has instead of like doing the work to get to that same position. Um. Yeah, like I really want like this. These bikes are thousands of dollars for Aero, uh, from a, a couple different brands for Ironman. But it's like I have a road bike where I can just clip on Aero bars, and if I want to invest in a power meter for the pedals, I can, and I I will get the probably the exact same out of that bike that I would mm-hmm. spending four times as much on a bike that I will ride maybe twice a year, mm-hmm. um, for for competition like that. It's just one of those you have to have I think some maturity going into an event to understand the work is what you put into it not really the gear that you're wearing uh, that defines your success yeah that's 100 percent. like a that's a great great perspective to have and i think i think you just get that with maturity too like i'm sure i you know when you're younger and you think or just with social media too you like look at you know people on instagram or what have you that are like these super fit individuals and you know they're trying to sell you like a product or sell you a program rarely is it is it ever that one singular thing that you want to spend money on that's going to actually predict your success or have your results it's like the amalgamation of hard work termination consistency perseverance etc those things are, are are what's going to predict success and you know having success for you in the long run not like a yeah. singular piece of equipment or singular you know program no i think that's something that has changed probably in the last 20 years as social media has really taken off and people go from emulating their idols on the process, um, you know, trust the process that got them there and are instead just focusing on what that really quick feedback loop tells them they need in order to get there. And they're, they're getting out of, you know, playing outside type things and, and, and they realize that, Oh, I, why spend an hour doing this when I can get the same workout in in 25 minutes, like six minute abs, like I'm good. I I think that was like the whole start of this transformation to the, the item that I have is going to, to make or break me. Yeah. And I think that's a, I think a maturity thing and just like kind of a product of today's society where, um, you know, I do, it's the same idea like growing up as like Americans want to, you know, like faster, they want it now, et cetera. But I think it just like, 
that perspective has only been exacerbated by you know it's technology and like Amazon things like that where you know you want something from Amazon you can get it the next day and then that's like the expectation that anything that you want you can get it you know with very minimal effort and get it the next day I think Louis CK had a had a stand-up bit where he was saying when he grew up, you know, not hearing from your friends or family for a couple of days was was normal. You had to wait to call. If someone was on the phone, you might get a letter. Mm-hmm. And now he hears people getting pissed off on 5G if their text message doesn't go through instantaneously thousands of miles across the world to someone else's cell phone and, like, you know, register a read receipt. Like, that's that's where we are, where the expectation is – you get that gratification uh, simultaneously. Mm-hmm. I, I wish they would, you know, take away the like function, for instance, from from social media. I think that would be phenomenal. Just post a photo, and that's it. Get what you need from it. But I don't need to see that twenty people liked it, fifty people, because you know, everything is. If fifty people like your photo and you have twenty thousand followers, or 60,000 followers, like clearly you purchase that following and that like that says something more about you too. Like that's a that's the society we live in. I sound like a boomer right now. Holy shit. But it's true though. I mean, um, you know, these are all valid perspectives to have, especially nowadays where um, but I don't know. Yeah, oh, speaking of, of valid today, I uh heavy I started watching Heavyweights again last night. Um, which two things blew my mind. One, that movie could never be made today. And two, Disney would never make that movie. That was a Disney movie. I, I was shocked to hear the jokes that were being made. The, you know, that for those of you that haven't seen Heavyweights, if you're a younger generation, it's about a kid going to a fat camp um, that Ben Stiller buys for the purposes of manufacturing an infomercial uh, based on running these, you know, adolescent kids through a fitness regime um, for, you know, the duration of the summer. And then, you know, hilarity ensues, you know, just like every 90s movie. Uh, uh, but, uh, yeah, that, that would that movie would not fly today. You would, I mean, I think 60% of America is obese, so there'd be a lot of trigger warnings. Mm-hmm. But I think it's like, uh, you know, kind of, a product of, I don't even know, like, because I mean, people were fat back then too in the 90s, but probably wasn't like as nearly as many as there are today, I guess. And then maybe it was like a smaller minority. I don't know. Maybe people just weren't as triggered as easy back then too. I don't know. I don't know what it was. The I think with dieting and fitness kind of changing, and the idea that when you went on a diet, and if you were on the diet for three months, six months, and you lost the weight, that you could go back and that whole yo-yo effect started happening and people lost faith in in healthy clean eating because they they thought that you know they couldn't actually maintain something like that for the duration of you know their their life um back then i just don't i feel like heavy people were portrayed by chris farley it was Mm -hmm. if you're fat you're supposed to be like kind of the the fat funny friend um, and you got stereotyped uh, as being lazy. Um, I know I, I sent that article to you uh, about you know some people being overweight um, and not being categorized as obese people, but people with obesity. And, and now they're you know the the vaccine is available for them just because of their BMI. I think society has gone way further to the left, um, making it more of a, a victim complex for being obese rather than in the '90s. It was seen as more of this is a this is a you thing. Don't blame society for, you know, a, a physical failure. Yeah, and I think that's kind of just, I don't know how the perspective should so much um, to nowadays, but it's like that applies to like everything now where it's like everybody, you know, you can't, you know, joke about certain things. It's like taboo to talk about certain topics. And I don't know, you know, maybe it's better, maybe it's worse. Who, who knows? But, you know, it's like the classic boomer mentality that was always better back in my day. Oh, yeah, I mean, but for instance, like politically speaking, I think Andrew Yang made fun of Donald Trump's weight uh, on the cam- campaign trail, like you know, a year or two ago. And now people are upset with him. I think running to want wanting to run for mayor of New York City, bringing up the fact that he is fat phobic, like that. That's that's the degree that we're dealing with now. 
I mean, because it is, how do you deal with it? How do you make what is just so common now to see with, with obesity and not normalize that and just remind people that it's unhealthy. And then you have people that's saying, no, it's not unhealthy. In fact, uh, I, you can't tell, you know, physical fitness or you can't tell health from a person's outer appearance. Like I feel like we're going to start getting to a dangerous place where, because as a nation, we are so obese that we are going to, you know, really write off the adverse physical effects 20, 30 years down the line. Again, because of that immediacy that we're focusing on. The next five years, I'm fine to be fat, but it's when you get to your 40s and 50s and the the increased risks. Like, nobody's going to want to talk about that. Yeah, I think it's just like that, um, you know, maybe willful ignorance or, um, I don't know, the lack of perspective on the future that, you know, is kind of indicative of today's society where it's like, all we worry about, I think about, is like the now, but we don't really think about the long-term effects, or you know, have the perspective to consider, um, you know, the overall and you know, long-term effects of that. Who's the guy that was in Superbad? Uh, Jonah Hill. Jonah Hill. Yeah. I mean, I I also think too. There's a, a completely different standard for men and women, mm-hmm. um, I, and I think largely the obesity not epidemic, the, the wolf ignorance piece, I think that's driven by like the, the pop stardom. Um, people started speaking negatively about it in the nineties and early two thousands when the whole like super thin, uh, Victoria's secret model was a thing. Um, you had Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera that were overly sexualized as teenagers. And then as adults, people focusing on their body types. And so people said, okay, for female empowerment shift to everybody is, is positive. Men haven't gone through that. Mm-hmm. Like we keep putting up on posters, women that are overweight, healthy, you know, quote unquote, beautiful. I don't see the same thing for people like Jonah Hill. In fact, Jonah Hill just had an article published about him where he was surfing with his shirt off and there were like a ton of negative comments. Like you would not see that for women. Um, I, I think it's a, it's a double standard. I think it's dangerous because it's, it's a, it's a part of society that you're protecting, but then, you know, everyone still wants Chris Hemsworth uh, when they go home. Yeah, but I mean, like, you know, I don't know. It's, this is like a little, getting a little too political for me. I don't want to say something <laughs> that I'm going to regret saying something. <laughs> no, but I mean, I think I think our listeners understand it's that there, there's a there's a health risk to it, um, and it's just I don't know where we come from because even even with COVID, going back to COVID being obese is significantly worse for you. I think you're twice as likely to die four times as likely or something to be hospitalized while being obese. But in the last year, we have not talked about obesity, neither Fox nor CNN. Nobody has contributed a long segment to, we now have a, an independent variable get introduced to the system being a pandemic and look what it did to every single one of the control groups. Like, it was way worse for the obese control group like that. And the fact that we're not talking about health in general from that perspective because of the fear of offending others, I think is like really dangerous for society. Like increased costs for healthcare are going to go and skyrocket. Like just because we have drugs that can prolong your life with all these ailments doesn't mean that you should be fine with taking them. Like there are healthier steps that are going to, you know, burden hospital systems less and burden your pocket even more. Yeah, and that's the thing that, like, you know, when people talk about, like, Medicare for all or universal healthcare system, I think that's one of the, you know, biggest, largest threats to that idea is that there is a large percent of America that are, essentially has a chronic illness and that, you know, for for people like, you know, for us or, better, you know, otherwise healthy individuals that go to the doctor, you know, maybe once a year just for a yearly checkup and don't have any of the chronic issues, no medications that you currently take. You know, that ends up that it's essentially a tax on the healthy, um, if you think about it that way, if you do like a Medicare system for all, um, or like the healthy are getting taxed more for the people who are unhealthy or are unwell or people that, you know, don't have the um, uh, discipline or the, um, you know, ability to live healthy lifestyles. And it's just like, it's not a sustainable system and like, you know, it's not really a you know perfect system either yeah and uh i again i have no problem with people making their own choices i think like 
it's clear inside the military, you should not be overweight. You can't be overweight, you know, because at the end of the day, that's going to affect my friends. It affected me if you couldn't pick me up and move me uh, as a casualty. In regular society, if you don't want to work out, I don't care. If you want to, you know, eat poorly, I don't care. If you're fine with, you know, dads out there having that dad bod look, I don't care. It, like, it, it does not impact my life. I think, you know, people in general should not really care. But when we have major pandemics being exacerbated, um, you know, and, and death tolls increasing at an alarming rate with, you know, one really kind of particular focus group, like, that then does impact me mm-hmm. because more shutdowns, you know, we have to take more drastic steps to curb an, an illness that may be artificially higher because of a factor that we don't want to acknowledge. You know, I think that's a very, you know, very dangerous or the elf in the room that, you know, people don't want to talk about for fear of, like you said, defending people or calling people out. Um, but sometimes they're like, I can, you know, kind of appreciate that, you know, maybe wellness and fitness is kind of a, um, a, what's the word I'm looking for? It is a, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Basically like it, it's something that, you know, that not everyone has, that it is something that, um, only well off people, what's, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm not a wordsmith, man. I, yeah. But it's I know like, what you mean. I mean, like, because there's there's so many other factors that impact health. I mean, like, yeah. uh, if, food, if you're in a food desert and you don't have access to, to fresh fruits and vegetables, if uh, I think, like, you know, income is definitely a thing with eating healthier and being able to shop at mm-hmm. stores that have those healthy alternatives. I'm not discounting uh, any of that. But, you know, it's just I don't like seeing people, you know, being uh, being adversely impacted by something that could probably be curved with you know, just education. And it goes back to schools then, like how many PE classes have been cut um, as one of the things that schools are taking away? How many how many gym teachers are, are gone? How much physical activity are kids growing up learning, uh, learning about different, you know, muscle pathway systems and, and doing the mile run in PT? Like that that's the kind of stuff you take away. It's going to be hard to reinforce. No, that's, that's very, yeah. And it's like, you know, I see both sides of it. It's like, you know, it's like, um, you know, people that, you know, don't have access to like healthy food or the fitness or the gyms. And then, you know, you were essentially saying that, you know, you need to be healthier without having access to healthy care or healthy food. It's like, like, make, like, you know, shaming a cancer patient for having cancer. It's like kind of yeah. that, but, but that's only like, a, I would say like a minority of people who are overweight, who lack that access or education, but for like the vast majority of Americans who are overweight, um, they for the most part, have the capability to live healthier or make better decisions. Yeah, absolutely. Or, or you know, just be fine with the inherent risk. Um, you know that 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 comes with being overweight, with uh, cancer rates, with you know heart issues, with you know everything that that happens with with more increasing fatty tissue. Um, but it's it's one of those things that you know if you're in the fitness world, like I think we are. It's just a, uh, it's almost like a matter of fact that, you know, it, it, you deal with and people make huge jumps and leaps and they, you know, they empower themselves through these, uh, you know, physical programs they follow and then it's great and you know, you're just, you happy to see it and, you know, just in general, if society's happy, then, you know, you really can't complain. Mm-hmm. But that's what I said about like having a fat, dumb society that's easier to control too, but that's like a whole other discussion. Yeah. Um. But yeah, um, anything else you want to talk about? I'm going to start swimming, I think, in the Hudson River here when I move to Jersey near like Ellis Island, uh, Statue of Liberty. I think it's clean. I've researched it a bit. You start swimming um, in the Hudson? I've got a wetsuit, yeah. Mm. Uh, I need to do some open water. I'm just worried about running into like a diaper from like yeah from seeing hitch like that's my fears hitting a diaper i don't that and sharks it's weird i don't feel like there are sharks really in the hudson um but it, that's i'm terrified of sharks interesting uh that you're afraid of sharks that's like a better you know you have a better chance of getting stung by a bee than getting bit by a shark Okay, well, you know, I'm fine with getting a bee sting. I'm not fine with losing my leg. 
You'd be okay. I don't think you'd take back your leg off. <laughs> I know a surgeon, right? So if, if I if I lose part of it, I know who's going to take it off cleanly for me. Yeah, I'd be more worried about the infection that you get from the Hudson River that, rather than the shark bite. Yeah, well, I mean, there's a pill for that, right? So, mm. Vibrio is a terrible, terrible infection to get. Um, don't inf- don't have any open sores when you go swimming. Right. Fuck you up. <laughs> you will no. get messed up. All Vibrio. right, fine. I'll find a lake. I'll find a lake or a, a small creek. Yeah, I'd be very, very aware or wary of you know weird bath- bacterial and pathogens in open water. Oh, that's disgusting. Okay, never mind. Yeah, just for you know, as as your friend in healthcare, as my yeah, yeah as my doctor. Um, but yeah, um, I think we'll kind of start wrapping with that. Um, sorry for the kind of the uh, jumble in the middle. I'm actually you know kind of worried about my dogs and now has worms so. I'm just thinking that you poop downstairs right now. It has there's worms just crawling around in our living room. So that'll be Oof. something to look forward to as I go downstairs after this. Oof. Well, good luck with with taking care of him, man. Yeah, I think that. Ugh. Gross. All right, bro. Well, I will talk to you in a couple of weeks uh, from the Dirty Jurors. All right, man. Enjoy the move. Jersey Bye. is probably better. Than, I I would prefer Jersey over the city. Oh, yeah. Hell, yeah. I can't wait to move. All right. See ya. Peace. Until next time. Peace.